This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of patella tendon rupture from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. A patella tendon rupture is disruption of the tendon attaching the patella to the tibial tubercle. Remember, the patella is a sesamoid bone, making this a tendon, not a ligament. With respect to the epidemiology of patellar tendon ruptures, as far as the incidence, these injuries make up less than 0.5% of the U.S. population per year. As far as the demographics, patellar tendon ruptures are most commonly seen in the third and fourth decade of life and are more common in males than in females. As far as location, keep in mind that quadriceps tendon ruptures are way more common than patellar tendon ruptures. Risk factors for patellar tendon ruptures include weakening of the collagen structure, which can be systemic in nature, local in nature, or from other causes. With respect to systemic risk factors, things like systemic lupus erythematosus, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic renal disease, and diabetes mellitus are all systemic risk factors related to weakening of the collagen structure. Local risk factors include things like patellar degeneration, which is the most common, previous injury, and or patellar tendinopathy. Other risk factors that may weaken the collagen structure include corticosteroid injections. With respect to the pathophysiology, as far as the mechanism of patellar tendon ruptures, these are related to tensile overload of the extensor mechanism. Most ruptures occur with the knee in the flexed position. Keep in mind that the greatest forces on the tendon are when the knee is flexed greater than 60 degrees. The ratio of patellar tendon force to the quadriceps tendon force is greater than 1 at less than 45 degrees and less than 1 at greater than 45 degrees. At smaller flexion angles, the patellofemoral contact point is at the distal pole of the patella, giving the quadriceps tendon a mechanical advantage. With respect to the pathoanatomy of patellar tendon ruptures, there are three patterns of injury. Avulsion with or without bone from the proximal insertion slash inferior pole of the patella, which is the most common. Again, avulsion with or without bone from the proximal insertion slash inferior pole of the patella. And keep in mind that the strain at the tendon bone interface is three to four times the strain at the mid-substance. Again, the strain at the tendon bone interface is three to four times the strain at mid-substance tears. Other patterns of injury is a mid-substance tear and a distal avulsion from the tibial tubercle. With respect to the biology, rupture is usually the result of end-stage or long-standing chronic tendon degeneration. With respect to outcomes, the most important factor is the timing of the repair. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy, specifically the extensor mechanism of the knee, forces in patellar tendon, and blood supply. With respect to the extensor mechanism of the knee, this includes the quadriceps femoris muscles, quadriceps tendon, patella, patellar tendon, and the tibial tubercle. With respect to forces in the patellar tendon, keep in mind that ascending stairs is three times body weight, and to rupture a normal tendon is 17 times body weight. With respect to the blood supply of the patellar tendon, this comes from the infrapatellar fat pad, as well as retinacular structures, specifically the medial and lateral inferior geniculate arteries. Again, the blood supply to the patellar tendon comes from the infrapatellar fat pad and retinacular structures, specifically the medial and lateral inferior geniculate arteries. With respect to the presentation of patellar tendon ruptures, patients typically have a history of a sudden quadriceps contraction with the knee in a flexed position, for example, during jumping sports or missing a step on the stairs. Symptoms may include infrapatellar pain, popping sensation, and or difficulty weight-bearing. Physical exam should include inspection and assessment of motion. 
With respect to inspection, you may notice elevation of the patella height. And remember, these injuries are usually associated with a large hemarthrosis and ecchymosis. There may be localized tenderness, as well as a palpable gap below the inferior pole of the patella. With respect to motion assessment, these patients are unable to perform an active straight leg raise or maintain a passively extended knee. These patients will also have a reduced range of motion of the knee and difficulty weight-bearing due to pain. If only the tendon is ruptured and the retinaculum is intact, active extension will be possible but will have extensor lag of a few degrees. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and lateral of the knee. Optional views include a merchant or skyline view. Findings on radiographs can be patella alta, which is seen in a complete rupture. And remember that with the knee in flexion, ideally 30 degrees, the insole salvati ratio is greater than 1.2 in the setting of a patellar tendon rupture. An ultrasound is indicated for suspected acute and chronic injuries. As far as findings, ultrasound is effective at detecting and localizing disruption but keep in mind that ultrasound is operator and user dependent. An MRI can be used to differentiate partial from complete tendon ruptures. Keep in mind that MRI is the most sensitive imaging modality. Findings on MRI may include site of disruption, tendon degeneration, patellar position, and associated soft tissue injuries. Treatment for patellar tendon ruptures can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes immobilization and full extension with a progressive weight-bearing exercise program. This is indicated for partial tears with an intact extensor mechanism. Some modalities to be aware of include application of a removable knee splint as well as early knee range of motion. Operative options include primary repair or tendon reconstruction. With respect to primary repair, this is indicated for complete patellar tendon ruptures with the ability to approximate the tendon at the site of disruption. Techniques include end-to-end -end repair, transosseous tendon repair, as well as suture anchor tendon repair. Tendon reconstruction is indicated for severely disrupted or degenerative patellar tendon tears. With respect to techniques, you can use a semitendinosus or gracilis tendon autograft in which the free ends of the tendon are passed through transosseous holes of the patella and then through a transosseous hole within the tibial tubercle to make a complete circle graft. Other options include central quadriceps tendon patellar bone autograft, contralateral bone patellar tendon bone autograft, as well as allograft. With respect to rehabilitation, patients may weight bear early with a protected knee extension brace. Exercises to optimize range of motion and minimize stress on the repair include passive extension and active closed chain flexion, otherwise known as heel slides. Other exercises include prone open chain knee flexion. This has been a tested point on past exams, so I'll say it again. Exercises to optimize range of motion and minimize stress on the patellar tendon repair include passive extension and active closed chain flexion, otherwise known as heel slides, as well as prone open chain knee flexion. Now let's go over the surgical technique for a direct primary repair in a bit more detail. The approach is through a longitudinal midline incision. Then you will expose the rupture and adjacent retinacula and then you will debride the ends of the rupture. With an end-to-end -end technique, you will approximate the tendon at the site of rupture, and then non-absorbable sutures are woven with a locking stitch. In a transosseous tendon repair, you will suture the patellar tendon to the patella with a number five non-absorbable transosseous suture. This can be protected with a cerclage wire or non-absorbable tape between the patella and the tibial tuberosity. Post-operative care will include immediate immobilization, 
Weight-bearing status may vary, but is typically full weight-bearing. And finally, you will start a rehabilitation program. Following an acute primary repair with suture augmentation, immediate immobilization with full weight-bearing, and controlled initiation of knee range of motion at 7 to 10 days is done, then you will have the goal of brace-free ambulation, full knee extension, and 120 degrees of knee flexion by 6 weeks, and return to sport at 6 months. This has been a tested point, so I'll say it again. Following acute primary repair with suture augmentation, immediate immobilization with full weight-bearing and controlled initiation of knee range of motion at 7 to 10 days is carried out. Then the goal of brace-free immobilization, full knee extension, and 120 degrees of knee flexion by 6 weeks is carried out. And then finally, full return to sport should be expected at 6 months. Some complications to be aware of include stiffness, specifically loss of knee flexion, decreased quadriceps strength, and quadriceps atrophy, which, remember, does not compromise return of strength. With respect to stiffness, specifically loss of knee flexion, you will prevent this by starting early range of motion and quad strengthening. However, if you have to treat this, you can do a manipulation under anesthesia if flexion is less than 120 degrees at 6 to 8 weeks. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 67-year-old man feels a pop and has an immediate onset of pain and swelling after awkwardly stepping off of a curb. Preoperative x-rays show patella alta. He undergoes a patellar tendon repair from the distal pole of the patella being fixed with a running lock stitch configuration. What would be the most likely finding preoperatively? And the choices are 1, insol-salvati ratio of 1, 2, insol-salvati ratio of 0.7, 3, insol-salvati ratio of 1.3, 4, MRI showing complete quadriceps tendon rupture, and 5, maintained ability to perform a straight leg raise. The correct answer to this question is 3, insol-salvati ratio of 1.3. So the patient has undergone a patellar tendon repair and an insol-salvati ratio of greater than 1.2 would be expected preoperatively. To quickly review, patellar tendon ruptures typically occur in patients younger than 40 years old. Most ruptures occur at the junction of the tendon and distal pole of the patella. Primary surgical repair within two weeks of the injury is recommended to prevent extensor mechanism contracture. The lateral radiographs described demonstrate patella alta, which in this setting is indicative of a patellar tendon rupture. Clinical findings include an inability to extend the knee against gravity, a large hematoma, and a palpable gap below the inferior pole. Matava reviewed patellar tendon ruptures. He stressed the importance of a timely anatomic repair, including reconstitution of tendon integrity, retinacular tissue, placement of a reinforcing cerclage suture, and early aggressive postoperative therapy. While patients with delayed repairs often gain a functioning extensor mechanism, persistent quadriceps atrophy and diminished flexion can compromise optimal results. Brooks reviewed extensor mechanism ruptures following total knee arthroplasty. He indicated that blood supply to the extensor mechanism may become disrupted during the surgical approach, which may limit healing potential compared to the native knee. Primary repair is indicated in acute ruptures, whereas reconstruction with allograft may be required in chronic cases. Moving on to the next question. A 39-year-old male with chronic renal disease and type 2 diabetes mellitus fell one week ago after slipping on ice. He is unable to bear weight on the right lower extremity or perform active knee extension. He reports no prior history of knee pain or instability. 
Lackman, posterior drawer, posterolateral recurvatum testing, or deferred secondary to patient's pain. He has a palpable dorsalis pedis pulse, but does not have neuropathy, as determined by SEMS-Weinstein filament testing. His radiographs reveal patella alta, and MRI reveals a complete patellar tendon rupture. What is the most appropriate initial plan for management? And the choices are 1. Primary repair of the injured structure. 2. Primary repair of the injured structure combined with anterior and medial tibial tubercle transfer. 3. Immobilization of the knee in full extension with a progressive weight-bearing exercise program. 4. Semitendinosis or gracilis tendon autograph reconstruction of the injured structure. And 5. CT angiography followed by primary repair of the injured structure if the limb has vascular stability. The correct answer to this question is 1. Primary repair of the injured structure. So the clinical presentation, exam, and images are consistent with an acute patellar tendon rupture. To quickly review, primary surgical repair within two weeks of the injury is recommended to prevent extensor mechanism contracture. Patellar tendon ruptures typically occur in patients younger than 40 years old. Most ruptures occur at the junction of the tendon and the distal pole of the patella. Matava et al. presented a level 5 review on patellar tendon ruptures and states that active knee extension is permitted at 3 weeks postoperatively. Non-weight-bearing movement exercises like heel slides are encouraged. This can incorporate active knee flexion with passive extension. Alternatively, active knee flexion in the prone position with passive knee extension can be performed. Open chain strengthening exercises such as leg extensions are started later, as are weight-bearing resistance exercises like squats, lunges, and leg presses. Volk et al. discussed potential complications and pitfalls of patients with the management of extensor mechanism injuries. They warned that complications can consist of misdiagnosis, delayed surgery, failed repair due to poor surgical planning of the injury site, or wound infection. Moving on to the next question. A 35-year-old male slips on a patch of ice and falls on a hyperflex knee. He reports hearing a pop during the fall and was unable to bear weight on the knee immediately after the injury. He has a large effusion on examination. A lateral radiograph reveals patella alta. He undergoes operative repair of the injury with a standard technique. Which of the active range of motion exercises is most appropriate in the immediate postoperative period? And the choices are 1. Leg extensions, 2. Heel slides, 3. Standing squats, 4. Rear lunges, and 5. Seated leg press. The correct answer to this question is 2. Heel slides. So the clinical presentation and radiographs are consistent with the patellar tendon rupture. In the case of patellar or quad tendon repair, the initial focus is on regaining range of motion while protecting the repair. Non-weight-bearing movement exercises like heel slides are encouraged. This can incorporate active knee flexion with passive extension. Alternatively, active knee flexion in the prone position with passive knee extension can be performed. Open chain strengthening exercises such as leg extensions are started later, as are weight-bearing resistance exercises like squats, lunges, and leg press. West et al. present level 4 evidence of 30 patellar tendon ruptures treated with direct repair supplemented with a cerclage technique. They report that 100% of patients returned to a pre-injury level of activity at 6 months. Moving on to the next question. A 24-year-old basketball player feels a painful pop in his knee when landing from a rebound. He develops immediate swelling, pain, and inability to extend his knee. A lateral radiograph shows patella alta. Proper management should include which of the following? 
and the choices are one, physical therapy for range of motion followed by surgical reconstruction with patellar tendon autograft, two, hinged knee brace locked at 30 degrees of flexion for six weeks followed by physical therapy for range of motion, three, medializing the tibial tubercle osteotomy with lateral retinacular release, four, primary surgical repair, and five, arthroscopy for debridement versus repair. The correct answer to this question is four, primary surgical repair. So while the history could be consistent with an ACL rupture, the lateral radiograph described demonstrates patella alta with an insole salvati ratio typically greater than 1.2, which in this setting is indicative of a patellar tendon rupture. Clinical findings include an inability to extend the knee against gravity, a large hematoma, and a palpable gap below the inferior pole. Primary surgical repair within two weeks of the injury is recommended to prevent extensor mechanism contracture. Patellar tendon ruptures typically occur in patients younger than 40 years old. Most ruptures occur at the junction of the tendon and distal pole of the patella. Sports such as basketball, football, and soccer, which place high eccentric loads on the extensor mechanism, are associated with this injury. Other predisposing factors include steroid injection, rheumatologic disease, renal failure, infectious disease, and metabolic disorders. Moving on to the next question. A 40-year-old recreational basketball player injured his knee while jumping for a rebound. He felt a pop and developed immediate swelling. His radiographs reveal evidence of patella alta. What is the recommended management? And the choices are 1. Obtain an MRI. 2. Ice, rest, and observation. 3. Physical therapy to regain motion. 4. Knee arthroscopy and repair. And 5. Open surgical repair. The correct answer to this question is 5. Open surgical repair. So the mechanism of injury and the radiographs described are consistent with a complete patellar tendon rupture. The radiographs reveal a patella alta, which in this case is indicative of a complete patellar tendon rupture. This can be quantified by using the insole salvati ratio, which is patellar tendon length over patellar bone length. So patellar tendon length over bone length in a normal individual equals 1. Greater than 1.2 is patella alta and less than 0.8 is patella baja, with the knee flex to 30 degrees. The reference by Brooks et al. reviews the diagnosis and treatment of extensor mechanism ruptures. A complete patellar tendon rupture requires open surgical repair. A partial tear with an intact extension mechanism may be treated conservatively. An MRI is not needed for diagnosis. And moving on to the final question, which of the following rehabilitation exercises provides for restoration of range of motion while limiting stress on the repair of a ruptured patellar tendon? And the choices are 1. Active open chain flexion and active closed chain extension. 2. Passive flexion and active closed chain extension. 3. Active closed chain flexion and active open chain extension. 4. Active flexion and passive extension and five, passive flexion and active open chain extension. The correct answer to this question is four, active flexion and passive extension. So to avoid stress on the repair, no form of active extension should be used for at least four to six weeks, but passive extension is allowed. Closed versus open chain refers to strengthening exercises, not just range of motion. Closed kinetic chain exercise occurs when the terminal or distal segment of an appendage is fixed, for example, squat, leg press, or pull-up. Open kinetic chain exercises occur when the terminal or distal segment is free to move, for example, leg extension or a hamstring curl. 
In general, open chain exercise tends to produce greater shear stresses than closed chain exercises. In the case of patellar or quad tendon repair, active closed or open chain flexion may be allowed with passive extension. Many of the rehab studies have looked at the effects of various exercises with respect to ACL graft strain, and those results are extrapolated to guide rehab principles. Stewart et al. showed that for common closed-chain exercises like squats and lunges, the shear force is predominantly posterior and therefore may not stress an ACL graft. The study by Wilk et al. showed the differences in contact forces and EMG activity for various closed and open-chain exercises. Open chain terminal knee extension provided the greatest anterior shear. That's all for this review about patellar tendon ruptures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.